Welcome to People Helping People, the podcast to inspire greater social change in the business world and give common and uncommon ideas on how to take action to move towards that social change. Today, I am here with Nadia Kasvin, one of the founders of Us Together, a center which helps refugees get the support they need here in Columbus, Ohio. They treat everyone like the individual that they are, and I believe this is what helps them to do such outstanding work to help these individuals settle in and understand their new surroundings. By definition, a refugee is somebody who has been forced to flee their country because of persecution, war, or violence, and are often escaping from traumatic situations. We are going to take a look at the situation, what's happening, and how we can make a difference. So, Nadia, welcome on the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm wondering if we could just start with uh, your own journey of immigrating to the U.S. Well, I came to this country as a refugee in 1993, and, um, you know, it's sometimes, um, you know, difficult to describe which country I'm from. I was born in Soviet Union. I came as a refugee from Ukraine, but I am from Crimea. And so where is it now? Is it Ukraine? Is it Russia? There are a lot of controversy around uh, that piece of land that is, you know, very dear to my heart. Uh, that's where I am from. Oh, neat. What was it like when you came? So this was now 25 years ago? Yes. Well, I mean, it will be next <laughs> next September. It will be 25 years. It's hard to imagine. Wow. It's almost like yesterday. <laughs> so what was it like being a refugee 25 years ago? You know, we were really uh, lucky in that while we definitely had all the prerequisites as refugees in regards to um, historical persecution um, and uh, um, anti-Semitism and, uh, um, you know, lack of certain freedoms, that overarching theme of uh, persecution based on the, uh, all, you know, various aspects of life, right? Whether it's, uh, you know, the whole refugee status is based on persecution. Mm. And uh, it's based on persecution only for just a number of reasons. It's a uh, uh, country of origin, race, religion, political opinion, or participation in a certain group. And so while uh, my family kind of checked off a number of those, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we were really lucky that we didn't have to go through a refugee journey that uh, many, many refugees are experiencing right now. Mm. We were able to come directly from our city to United States. Um, and, uh, you know, we didn't have to experience uh, uh, displacement. We didn't have to experience uh life in a refugee camp. Mm -hmm. And we were young, and I knew English uh, when we came here. And uh, I think we were uh, better prepared uh, because we already had uh, higher education. We already uh, graduated from colleges. You know, we had a young family. You know, we were ready on to take on the world, right? <laughs> we, we So having education and professions and, uh, um, you know, an understanding, certain understanding, obviously, you know, helped us to integrate mm -hmm. into this culture very fast. But it doesn't mean that we didn't experience 
you know, uh, difficulties and barriers. Everybody does. It does, that doesn't matter how prepared you are. You are <laughs> never prepared for the reality of that because it doesn't matter because all the knowledge you have is, you know, book knowledge. Yeah. So when you are actually here and you have to deal with the reality and with a new culture and, and with the language, inevitably you, you know, you have to go through a uh, acculturation process, integration process. You have to go, you, everybody experiences culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> we did too. We did too. But we, uh, we entered uh, this culture very quickly. My husband had an inter job interview the day after arrival. And he was immediately offered a job, and he started work a week after we came to the country. So really, didn't so really so really didn't have time to kind of to, <laughs> to really adjust. Got it. <laughs> I think he was still you know half asleep while he was going through that interview. Really, um, and, uh, and 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 for me, really, it was an opportunity to uh, to consider what I want to do. Mm. And uh, for me, it was an opportunity to uh, decide whether I want to continue uh, in my profession, and I was a teacher, or I want to try something else. And I chose to try something else, and I and I went to study business, um, which um, you know, whatever we study in life and all our experiences, right? It's really helpful, and I think it's it's really helped me, um, you know, later um, as we uh, started working on. Um, um, uh, putting together this organization and various programs and, uh, um, you know, trying to figure out how to uh, take a best approach to uh, serving refugees and immigrants and overall kind of new Americans through all of our programs. Uh, but, you know, there are there are still uh, issues that all the refugees are going through and deal with. You know, it's uh, very often lack of support system. Mm. So if, if people come over, they don't necessarily have family? Well, yeah. I mean, many, many people come here, what we call free cases. It's It means that they don't have any anchor in the community. They don't have, you know, a family or a friend to help them out. Okay. Um, and so they become dependent to some extent on the agency. And then uh, the agency, um, you know, then in turn, we have to figure out how to link people to the community, mm -hmm. how to introduce them to their own community if it's in existence, bring in volunteers, facilitate opportunities to meet people from this new culture so that people can start, um, you know, really a culturation integration process because that process really starts through meeting new people, but also people who have families and friends here. You know, those families and friends, you know, they either themselves are recent refugees or if they already integrated, they're working, right, full-time. They're, they're busy with their own lives. They're able to help to some extent, but they can't be with them 24-7, right? And and it's still very important for, in, for for the process of integration to have new experiences, to have new connections, because that's the only way to learn mm. about new culture and really integrate into that, to have real-life experiences. Now, this is something I, I'm very curious about is the cultural integration when refugees come in. I mean, I, I understand from one point there's there's learning a new culture. Is there some education that needs to happen in the local community about the refugees' culture for that to happen? Like, how does that 
cultural integration work? For integration to happen, really, it has to be, you know, a two-way mm. <laughs> road. New coming populations, you know, refugees and immigrants absolutely uh, should learn and do learn about culture. They learn the language. Uh, I mean, people have to adjust. People have to adapt. Uh, and that's the only way mm. to navigate uh, uh, the life, to navigate different systems, to learn to learn about th these different systems, mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, for integration to truly work, uh, we need to have receiving community also be open to that. Receiving community also to learn more about these new coming uh, cultures and have appreciation of this process and have appreciation of all these new cultures, right? And the thing is that it's been happening you know, from the beginning of this country. It's, this is not a new process, <laughs> right? I mean, if we didn't have Italians, we wouldn't appreciate Italian food, yeah. right? <laughs> Cuisine is probably the, one of the easiest ways to share culture. Right, really. I mean, and, and it, it, it first starts with, uh, with such elements of a culture that are on the surface, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like food and dance and 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 art, right? And and then as deeper connections develop, then deeper appreciation of cultural experiences and personal experiences that every refugee and immigrant goes through and how it affects the behavior and how it affects, you know, the uh, um the whole uh, outlook at life. Right. Uh, I mean, we always talk about, you know, refugees and immigrants coming here to to really succeed. You know, when when we came here, we were, you know, young adults and but we were not born here. We didn't go to school here. So, you know, my husband used to say, we have to hurry up. We don't have time. We are already behind because we were not born here. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel that. Uh, we need to have true appreciation of the experiences that we bring as well. Everything that we experienced, all of that makes us what we are mm -hmm. and, and who we are. And we, we can, and we bring it here. And so, and it also, I guess what I want to say is that all these new experiences and new outlook at life and uh, uh, new approaches to decision-making and problem-solving, all of that an integral part of integration because that's the value that we bring mm. to this culture is that maybe we will sit together in a room with many other people and all the different people coming from different experiences will have different approach on how to resolve a problem. That's where innovation comes yeah. from. That's what I feel really fueled the ability of this country to be so innovative. It's because there are so many different cultures and ideas and approaches and people came through history to this country. That's why we have such a culture of innovation and people really being entrepreneurial and trying to start new things. I think it all comes, you know, stems from that. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I think what we need to do really to to look back at all of those cultural experiences, historical experiences and say, oh, yeah, this is not new. You know, we've always had that, is that from time to time we forget where it came from, you know, and really have appreciation of that, saying that every new 
population, every new wave of immigration, you know, has something new and exciting to add to. And especially if you have that different way of seeing things when you come in and you say, hey, you know, here's another way to try something. Absolutely. I think this country is uniquely positioned to be a great welcoming opportunity for newcomers. Because it's not something new, again, because historically that's how it's been developed. Everybody's come from somewhere. Absolutely. And and even method of communication in American culture is developed based on that. Yeah. <laughs> to make sure that regardless where people are coming from, that people understand each other. And, and it's very different from, uh, you know, uh, uh, communication style from all the other cultures. But through history, through experience, American culture was able to develop, you know, this method of communication that addresses all of that. And, you know, we just never kind of take a minute to stop and think about it. So you founded us together. You saw a need for refugees here in Columbus? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, our organization, Us Together, was founded by three former refugees. Okay. And so I'm just one of, <laughs> I'm a co-founder. We started our organization in response to the needs in our own Russian-speaking community. And the idea for organization was to uh, promote um, um, advocacy and community uh, organizing. Uh, we felt that we need to, you know, get together uh, and support each other as bigger community to advocate for for the needs of the most vulnerable in our community. But very quickly, within just several months, <laughs> we, you know, we opened our doors to uh, to refugees and immigrants uh, from all over the world. And so, um, you know, we uh, expanded. Uh, our initial uh, goals um, and strategic planning, you know, started to uh, look at what are the gaps in services, what are the needs um, in in refugee and immigrant community, and we we mostly serve refugees. Though we have programs that are available for uh, uh, refugees and immigrants as well, um, and I think we bring in a unique perspective of the uh, organization that uh, was founded by former refugees. Our board are 100% former refugees and immigrants. A majority of our staff are mm-hmm. also former refugees and immigrants. In fact, many of our case managers and program coordinators are our former clients, refugees mm-hmm. that our organization resettled. And now they they work in our organization, giving back to their own community and helping their own communities. Um, so you know, I think we have that unique perspective of somebody who understands the journey because we went through that ourselves. We went through that process. I imagine that coming over as a refugee is much different than just immigrating here because you're you're leaving some form of some situation that's really difficult. Does that play a part in the kind of services that they need? Sometimes the line is li- really blurred <laughs> between <laughs> refugee and immigrant experiences. Okay. Because for us, refugee is an immigrant status. This is a legal immigrant status, and it is based on persecution. Not to say that some people that came here as immigrants didn't have similar experiences, is that they 
just were not able to go through the same process because we face the the biggest humanitarian crisis in recent history. We now have more uh, displaced people than after World War II. We have, um, you know, what, 60 million people displaced around the world. Out of that 60 million, around 25 million are people who registered as refugees. And it means that 25 million people were able to find an office, United Nations High Commission of Refugee Office, go there and register as refugees. But what about other 35 million? Who is to say that almost all of them have not had similar experiences, just that they didn't get an opportunity to to, to register as refugees, right? So, uh, so we know for sure that we have 25 million uh, refugees around the world. And only 1%, it's unbelievable, only 1% will be able to resettle in a third country through a refugee resettlement program similar to what we have. 1%. Okay, so 99%, and even that probably is a less number now because of all the recent uh, changes in in uh, a refugee resettlement program that we have in this country. Mm-hmm. This year, we are going to resettle less refugees that we resettled previous year and less refugees that we resettled the year before that. And so the need is bigger, but the resources are much less Really, in fact, we will resettle less than 1% of world refugees. What happens to everybody? Yes, that's a good question. I think everybody struggles with that. Uh, What does happen with people? I don't think anybody really has a good answer to that. Um, You know, United Nations High Commission of Refugees looks at kind of three-prone approach. They look at, okay, can people go back home? Okay. Sometimes it's possible, sometimes it's not possible. We now have very prolonged conflicts around the world. So it's not just, you know, like two, three, four, five years war done, and then people can go back, rebuild, and so on. These conflicts are prolonged, and they last for for years and years, and then seems to be better situation, and sometimes, you know, it reverses itself. Like we see in uh, Burundi right now, Mm. is that, you know, uh, many, many refugees escaped uh, Burundi in the 70s due to genocide. And they lived for several decades in refugee camps in Tanzania. And they then, situation in the country improved, they were able to go back. But last year, clashes Political unrest, civil unrest happened again, and again, thousands of refugees escaped that country and and went to neighboring countries for safety. So sometimes it's possible people can go back. Sometimes it takes decades for people to be able to go back. Uh, We are still seeing repatriation to Rwanda, Mm. right? Uh, And it's been a while. Um, there are still displaced people as you know as a result of a uh, genocide in Rwanda. Many are going back home, many are staying where they were. So the second one is can people integrate where they are? So let's say can Iraqi refugees stay in Jordan, mm. right? So if they if they ran to Jordan for safety, 
right? Then can they stay there? Some probably were able to, but not everybody. And it's probably a very small number of refugees because this country should be able to have opportunities uh, to offer to these refugees to almost some kind of pathway to citizenship, right? Yeah, <laughs> if it doesn't exist, then... Yeah, many people stay in countries really with no legal status, right? And and it, it makes people really very vulnerable, you know, because if people don't have legal uh, uh, opportunity to work and to access services and, and medical treatment and get kids to school, what kind of life is that, right? Uh, and, and then the third is resettlement. And, and really resettlement is kind of the last avenue if those two are not possible. But again, we're only talking about 1% of people. And uh, obviously that's be- because of that, you know, and because people understand that those slots for resettlement are very, very limited, you know, that many people take, you know, their lives in their own hands and, you know, they try to find other ways. Um, and that's what you see with uh, influx of uh, uh, asylum seekers and uh, migrants to Europe. Yeah, okay. We don't have it here. We have a very, you know, geographically it's not possible. It's very hard to, you know, <laughs> jump on a boat and swim across right. the Atlantic. Absolutely. So geographically uh, it's not possible. And, and we also have a formal refugee resettlement program. And so that all the processing of refugees uh, uh, happens outside of the country. So that when uh, people register with United Nations, then United Nations, I don't know how, (laughs) based on persecution stories, they pick a number of people that 1% and refer them for refugee resettlement. And some of those referrals come to U.S. refugee resettlement program, and then um, you know, then they they go to processing centers, and they have to present their persecution story again, and they have to go through background checks and biometric checks, and um, you know, all kind of different security checks. They have to go through the interview with our uh, Department of Homeland Security. Um, you know, and. They have to pass all the security checks, medical checks. Uh, they have to be found eligible for a refugee status. And if all of that works, then they are offered you know, a refugee status. Seems like a long process. And so. that process in itself is uh, probably anywhere between 12, 18 months. Though we have some families that have been waiting for, for, for much longer and even 18 months. And the, uh, you know, we, we have uh, actually already a very comprehensive vetting process mm-hmm. because people have to go through uh, many different uh, security checks with many different uh, national security agencies. Uh, and if even one of those checks doesn't come uh, back, uh, you know, then they're not allowed to enter the country. After all that work, <laughs> right? They're they're so, back to find another route, right? You know, so people are waiting for all this processing outside of the country. So it's not like they are somewhere in a safe place. They are not in a safe place, 
And the longer that process takes, the the more chances of um, all kind of things happening to them. Got it. So that's a lot of what you see going on with refugee camps and and the problems around those where there's just not enough funding or space or facilities to really house people and get them back on their feet. Yeah, I don't think there's really a truly any comprehensive plan on how to get people back on their feet, um, you know, with lack of resources around the world, with uh, uh, waves of immigration from different parts of the world and, you know, people taking that into their own hands mm. because uh, because there is a lack of, you know, that comprehensive planning. Uh, but again, migration uh, of populations is not a new phenomenon. <laughs> you know, people have been migrating for the last, I don't know how many, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands years, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, what does the refugee population in Columbus look like? We actually have a very diverse population in Columbus. And it's really, really exciting to see because when I came, I moved to Columbus uh, in 1996. Within several years, you know, you could see the huge difference as more population started coming to Columbus. And what's interesting and unique about Columbus, it's, not just the populations that came directly to Columbus and were settled here as refugees, but also refugees that uh, came here through what we call secondary migration, mean, meaning that they were settled somewhere else, different cities and states around the country, and then they chose then to move to Columbus. Hmm. And Columbus truly became, uh, a, you know, a, a magnet of what we call for for secondary migration. Many years ago, it started with uh, a Somali community, right? So we probably resettled, um, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven thousand uh, Somalis overall directly here, and and then depending who you talk to, it's anywhere between fifty and seventy-five thousand. Samal is living in central Ohio. So other, well, let's say 50,000 came through secondary migration, right? So if we, we are conservative and we're saying we have about <laughs> 55,000 <000, laughs> uh, Somalis here, then, you know, then uh, majority came through secondary migration. Uh, we now see the uh, the same phenomenon happening with uh, Bhutanese community, is that we have uh, ethnic Nepalis from Bhutan who uh, who started coming as refugees to this country about you know nine years ago, and um, we probably also resettled around five six thousand of them here, and we now uh, hear the numbers of Bhutanese in Columbus about thirty five thousand meaning that 30,000 move from somewhere else. We have, uh, so it's, we have uh, Iraqi population here, we have Afghani population here, um, you know, we have uh, refugees from all the parts, you know, all, all the parts of the world. If well, start kind of going through continent by continent, right? So from Africa, we have uh, Somalis, and Ethiopians and Eritreans and uh, Sudanese and and Burundis and uh, I'm sure that 
there are a number of other populations yeah. that I am, you know, missing right now. But th- those are kind of bigger, uh, bigger communities. So, so really, you know, we have a very diverse community of people who came here as refugees, and we also have a significant diverse immigrant community, mm-hmm. right? I was very surprised when I heard how many Somalis were here in Columbus because I, I just don't see them in my day to day. So. It's very easy to live in a suburb and, and drive into the city and just not see what's going on in Columbus. But also, I think kind of the, the, the eye adjusted, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's not a new sight. We, we don't necessarily, you know, pay attention because we've had Somali population uh, here since uh, uh, late 90s. Right. So so it's not a brand new population. Uh, right. So, you know. We've seen people around, and it's it's a very big community. It's a successful community. It's very active community. You know, people helping each other. You know, very entrepreneurial. Are there big differences between the different communities, uh, different cultures coming in? Like, do you notice that the needs are different from somebody coming from Somalia versus somebody coming from Bhutan? Well, there are always cultural differences. Uh, you know, it's unavoidable, <laughs> right? Where we, you know, we're all part of different cultures and we bring it with them. But I think it's mostly the 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 need for services is mostly based on experiences of that particular group, right? So, for example, you know, if we deal with populations that have been displaced for many years, mm. right? It means that you know, if people spend ten. 15, 20 years in refugee camp. Like we are seeing refugees from Democratic of Congo right now. And uh, uh, many actually did spend 20 years or were born in a refugee camp and haven't seen anything else except refugee camp. The approach to services should be absolutely individual in that that sense. Was there an opportunity for education in a refugee Mm -hmm. camp? Some people had the education interrupted, right? Was there an opportunity to uh, to learn English language? Was there opportunity for developing new skills and experiences, right? Mm-hmm. For example, for uh, refugees that uh, live in urban environment, right? And they have to more or less fend for themselves, right? Uh, somehow survive there. There is a possibility that in addition to their original education and professional background, they also had to adjust and develop new new skills. Well, even right? just going out and interviewing for a job and, and working in an office or... Many urban refugees do not necessarily have a chance to, you know, have a legal right to work in the country, Oh, okay. They often become part of that kind of a shadow, <laughs> shadow economy, you know, working wherever there is work, doing whatever needs to be done to put, you know, food on the table and to, to survive and to provide for the family. And so, uh, you know, the approach and services to refugees who had these experiences would be different from people who didn't have those opportunities mm-hmm. and stayed for decades in the refugee camp. Then you have to think about like what skills are there and what new skills need, need to be developed so people can uh, participate in a, you know, in a job market and because everybody wants to work, right? And, uh, but, um, you know, how we can help them to be more productive sooner 
And uh, I, I think what it comes down to is really to have an individual approach. Because everybody's own experience is so completely different. Some refugee camps had schools inside refugee camps. I mean, they were maybe not exactly the same as you envisioned being a school <laughs> here in a traditional sense, right? Um, you know, maybe they didn't have a building. Maybe they had a room. <laughs> maybe they were just sitting, you know, uh, somewhere together in a circle. But whatever they, whatever it is, but there was an opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. Right, and so and so we see young adults from those refugees refugee camps having some educational background, and obviously it's easier for them to integrate in the school system here. And and the same with you know with uh, uh, professionals and skills and 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 trauma. You know, we deal with people who experienced unimaginable unimaginable trauma, and so. All our services have to be kind of informed by that. So they know what to expect. And uh, right, absolutely. And, and watch for signs and, and see, you know, uh, how we can, you know, help to deal with trauma. So that doesn't become a barrier to, uh, to self-sufficiency. You know, we have a number of programs in our organization that actually are geared towards that. One of them is uh, services for survivors of torture. Yeah, we didn't expect that we, will have, we would have as many clients as we have. Uh, we do have, um, you know, uh, survivors of torture here um, in Columbus, and um, uh, not just those who came as refugees, but, uh, you know, but people who experienced uh, torture uh, overseas. And so this program is specifically, you know, geared towards, you know, providing wraparound services to survivors of torture uh, so that we can, uh, uh, you know, develop those individual plans and help people with whatever needs that they have, whether it's medical needs or mental health needs or referring them for local resources, linking them to local resources, helping them with maybe legal issues, helping them to, you know, to really, really overcome and survive and, and flourish, you know. And, and uh, but, but really every single program that we have, whether it's, you know, employment or, or case management or anything else, is geared towards integration. You know, a couple of years ago, we went through strategic planning and we looked at all the services that we provide and we kind of grouped them in like four major pillars of integration, so to speak, right? So we have, you know, the first pillar kind of of a social integration. And so it's this initial services and, um, you know, uh, helping people to meet their basic needs, right? Whether it's a housing, getting kids to school, access to health care, um, then understanding the systems, right? How to deal with uh, health care, how to deal with school system. Um, you know, uh, a lot of programs, uh, uh, again, to deal with trauma, 
helping people with uh, social integration issues, uh, working with schools and kids, you know, uh, providing mentors for refugee kids uh, to giving them, you know, uh, more opportunities to, to integrate and have those interactions with, uh, uh, you know, with, with people from this culture. From their from from their new home. A mentor sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, um, and so we working with refugee parents, you know, so that they're not left behind. Mm. Because the what we often see is role reversal in families, uh, mm -hmm. when kids are the first to enter American culture, the first to learn the language, and uh, and uh, sometimes parents uh, feel like they have nothing left to offer because they don't understand that culture as well. They don't speak the language as well. And, and you know, I think it's very tragic when parents check out of their kids' lives. I will continue to parent my son until <laughs> I die. <laughs> so so I, think, I think it's not about the language or culture. I think we as parents can help and contribute to, you know, so much. And so one of our programs is actually geared towards empowering refugee parents to give them, you know, understanding of the school system, but also skills, um, you know, so that they are not intimidated by the school system. They know that they can actually go to school and talk to teachers and ask questions and challenge some of the <laughs> things and advocate for them. Because in some cultures, it's not appropriate. So a lot within that kind of social integration is understanding how the system systems work so that people are able to navigate and just even learning about resources because you know we people say sometimes well why didn't they come and they ask or why didn't they go there or here well well maybe they didn't have those opportunities in their in their own countries. How would they even know it would exist? And then we also have a whole, you know, uh, uh, a number of programs within our um, uh, economic integration, right? And so there we have our employment program, we have our women empowerment program, we have um, our uh, employment program specifically geared towards refugee women. So we actually take into consideration, you know, uh, unique barriers that refugee women and refugee single moms have uh, so that we take into consideration cultural issues and family issues and kind of uh, gender roles and, uh, you know, and really gear it very individually to, 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 every, to every woman. Um, we also, and oh, one program I actually forgot to uh, mention in our social integration part is a program for African women who are victims of sexual assault and gender-based violence. Okay. This is a, a very unique program. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we really didn't have anything like that here geared specific to women from Africa and many women who come from war-torn zones. Um, they were victims of gender-based violence. Um, and so, they, again, they need that individual approach, um, very similar to the program working with survivors of torture. So social integration, economic integration, we also have um, civic integration program. We have our citizenship program. Okay. So it's uh, a citizenship and civic integration. We have uh, uh, classes 
uh, preparing people for citizenship. So that's yes. uh, preparing them for the interview and for interview and for test and going through the whole process. We also uh, provide immigration services. Um, you know, helping with uh, citizenship application, but also with any other uh, uh, immigration paperwork because we are accredited to provide immigration services. It's about, you know, uh, sharing understanding and sharing and adopting the values. And, and as part of that, as people learn, you know, about how it really works, people might choose to be more active in their own communities, Right, you know, volunteer, advocate, come together to to be, you know, a bigger voice to yeah. advocate for all new American community, but even kind of understand how this whole system works and having a, a better appreciation for that. Now, do you also do work on the other side of of reaching out to people who live locally, who are not from a refugee background? Absolutely, we do. Um, and actually, we do it through different ways. We just recently added a new program. We have now international program. And, and the purpose of international program, it's really work on that other end of integration, <laughs> right? <laughs> so one, one of the goals of this new program is to uh, have more outreach in the community, to have more uh, cultural events, to engage uh, receiving community uh, more. Um, again, you know, uh, 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 providing whether it's through uh, cultural events or through other means to participate more in that cool. cultural exchange. So really promoting cultural exchange. And because I feel very strongly that that for, for real integration, it should happen, you know, from both yeah, sides, no, right? And definitely. we've been working so hard on the side of like refugees and immigrants, right? So preparing them, helping them, educating them. So through years we were doing it, we participated and we did outreach and we did community education. But now we kind of, we feel that we need to do even more than that. We really need to engage people more in that cultural exchange. Got it. What kind of ideas do you have for that? Like meet and greet uh, people from certain cultures. I don't know, maybe have an event specific to a culture, maybe may, may based on certain, you know, a cultural holiday. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very recent development. We just uh, uh, recently added this program. So we're working very hard on trying to integrate that <laughs> into our services and Definitely will let you know <laughs> about all the different opportunities. That I'm very interested in. I studied abroad when I was in high school in, in Germany, and that gave me just this real deep understanding of, of what I took for granted. And I think had I not been in another culture, I would never have realized, here's what I'm taking for granted in my own life. You know, when you're with other cultures, you start to learn about yourself in that way, and it allows everyone to kind of grow into something better when you can share that. Yeah, and through that uh, a new program, we also uh, will be able to offer opportunities for people to host mm. uh, professionals from around the world. You know, we will be bringing, you know, uh, delegations here from uh, from different countries. We are definitely looking for host families <laughs> so that if we're bringing social workers or teachers or somebody else here for, let's say, a week 
or maybe several months for for exchange for learning opportunities here in the United States, then uh, we definitely will be looking for host families for that. And uh, and I know that many people who hosted families in the past, it's really changed their lives. As a host family, like what, what type of people come in? Like what's that experience look like? Well, it really depends. Sometimes it just may be a week hosting somebody a week, and sometimes it's hosting a professional for three months or for six months, you know, really making that person a part of the family. Oh, cool. Seems like a great way to really build ties. Absolutely. That's why we're so excited to bring in Columbus International Program that, you know, just recently merged with us together becoming our you know international program with us together so that we're really looking forward to continue what Columbus International Program has been doing for many 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 years and expanding that oh that's exciting are there good ways for people to get involved we always have volunteer opportunities and we always look at the need that we have, but also try to match it with the interest and abilities of person who uh, wishes to volunteer, right? So um, there are opportunities to become a conversation partners because people really have uh, very limited opportunities to have conversations in English, right? Because, you know, they at home, most people speak their own language, right? And then they go to English classes and they speak English there and they, they go back home, <laughs> right? And uh, and even at work, first jobs for many people, first jobs are really entry-level jobs. And so people don't need to even, you know, communicate that much there, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but for true integration and for people to be more successful, language is a key. And and yes, you can learn the language in, in a school setting, but uh, you also uh, can definitely learn language, uh, you know, just through working with a conversation partner, uh, getting that, you know, just so that people can start communicating uh, in English and feel comfortable doing that. And start to understand the different cultural references. We also have opportunities uh, in our women empowerment program for both volunteers and mentors. It could be, uh, you know, somebody who works uh, at the bank and and just helps uh, people to navigate uh, financial situations because a big part of um, of our women empowerment program is financial literacy. Ah, okay, yeah. Or it could be a woman who started her own business working with our refugee women who are thinking about starting their own business. And we have some amazing, incredible stories, you know, you know that women coming from our Women Empowerment Program with great ideas and actually starting implementing those ideas, which, you know, our program was not designed to do that, but it's an amazing result of that. And just and just being there for them or, or even somebody who... You know, if we have single moms, uh, it's difficult for them in a new culture, especially if they come from traditional backgrounds where they did not have to make all the financial decisions or any decisions outside of household. And and, and now they're on their own and they need to take care of their families by themselves. So it would be amazing to have somebody with similar experiences here that could say, hey, I, I know what it's like. Mm. 
I, there are so many different ways uh, to mentor and to volunteer. And I mean, to, to become a mentor to our refugee kids, maybe to meet for a couple hours a week, just to talk about um, anything, really, right? <laughs> I feel very strongly to, to be able to have those opportunities for kids, for our kids, refugee kids, to know that they can also go to college. <laughs> they can also, you know, uh, become what they want to become. There is, the sky is the limit, right? They should not be limited in any ways. We're not here to help people to survive. Uh, they survived without us. Uh, we're here to give them tools and empower them to succeed. And I think that that's what I think drives us in what we do. And uh, we see amazing results with people that, you know, came here with unbelievable experiences, really broken, you know, uh, mentally and physically. And then within several months, we see a difference, you know, that people start adjusting and they find their way and they start integrating and they find their new job. And then the kids goes, go to school and then a couple of years later, you know, say, oh, my child is, is in college and we're looking at buying a house and, oh, we just started business. And, you know, there are some amazing, amazing stories of perseverance and, and, and success. I love those stories. Now for 2018, do you have any plans or upcoming events? We are planning for Refugee Integration Conference. We hope to have it uh, late October, beginning of November. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to me. This is really interesting, uh, you know, just getting a better understanding of what's going on in Columbus with refugees and what the whole journey looks like, because that's something which when you're not in it, you don't hear about it as much. And, and I want to offer to your, you know, audience yeah. <laughs> to just come and, you know, visit and, and check it out and meet our staff and, uh, and see what we are doing. And because we, we have such a diverse community uh, uh, here in Columbus and often people don't interact mm. with these diverse communities and, you know, don't even understand how diverse our communities are really right we just recently had very successful project at the end of december adopt a refugee for holidays and so we had amazing response from the community people bringing toys and just you know things for the family to make their holidays you know more comfortable and better kind of to start a new year and you know many many of our families really benefited from this generosity of our community that you know we were bringing like boxes and boxes to some of our families i mean one i i, I remember like one family came here it was single mom with like five or six kids so it was such an amazing opportunity and and that was just one project you know uh driven by by volunteers right so it it, it doesn't have to be a huge commitment mm. i just you know really encourage anybody to make the first step oh that's cool right now immigration is such a hot topic in our political discourse whether it's illegal immigration dreamers people who have come from abroad or refugees there's so much misunderstanding of who these people are what their unique backgrounds are and what they've been through, that I believe it's really important to learn more and get involved. 
If the U.S. is a country of immigrants, then us together is a symbol for how we develop our cultures and grow through understanding our diversity. So thanks so much for listening. As always, you can find the show notes on peoplehelpingpeoplepodcast.com. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.